In difficult times, good leadership is essential. Last week we saw that in his first letter, Peter was writing to Christians who were going through a really tough time of persecution. They were being unfairly criticised, slandered, attacked, beaten and abused. And things were getting worse and worse. So Peter wrote to encourage them not to be surprised or ashamed of their suffering, but instead to rejoice that God was with them, working in them, and that one day they'd share in his glory. And so they could trust God and continue to serve him, even in those really tough times. But Peter knew that they would also need help to do this. They would need more teaching, more encouragement, more care as they went through these challenging times in their lives. And so he turned to the elders of these churches and he called them to follow Christ in leadership. So we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 down to verse 4 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now clearly in this section, Peter was speaking to those men who were fulfilling the specific role of leading the churches to whom he was writing. And he used three different terms, three different words to describe them, to describe their role. First of all, he said, to the elders among you. That's the first term, the elders. That was a common term for the leadership in the Jewish synagogues. It emphasised the maturity of these men who were going to take a leading role in that community. And the New Testament church picked up this idea and used it to describe the mature men, not necessarily in age, but in relationship with Christ, who would then lead the church community. And it seems that they usually worked in teams, in leadership teams. When Paul revisited the churches that he'd planted, it says this, that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. Elders, not just an elder in each church. So team leadership was the normal practice of these early New Testament churches. But in this passage, Peter also said that these leaders were serving as Overseers. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the second term. Overseers. It's a Greek word, episkopos. 
which we used to describe those who took responsibility to watch over and to guard a community in the Greek world. And in some Bibles, this word overseers is translated bishops. And some people think bishop is somebody who takes a kind of over a leadership role over and above other leaders. Like a kind of hierarchy of leaders. Or you start off as an elder and if you work up you'll eventually get to a bishop. But clearly we can see that the same people who are elders are also overseers here in God's, in, in this passage. But I think the focus of what Peter taught here is that those elders, those overseers or bishops, if you prefer, were also called to be shepherds of God's flock. That's the third term, shepherds. That's where we get the word pastor, which we use to describe this spiritual leadership at our church here. Because pastor is just the Latin term for shepherd. And this image of shepherd was used frequently throughout the Bible as a picture for the spiritual leadership of of God's people. So King David, King David for example, he was told, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you shall become their ruler. So David was seen as a shepherd of his people, as the king. Then in his book, Ezekiel was told, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And that wasn't a condemnation of of the people who looked after these fluffy white little animals out in the field. But that was about those who had been given the responsibility to look after the people of God. And we'll come back to why these shepherds, where they went wrong in just a bit. And it was also to this role that Peter was called. He described himself here as a fellow elder. Peter thought himself as one of those elders, just one among many, not above everyone, but just one among among them all. But when he was restored to that leadership role in in God's church, after his denial of Jesus, it was to the role of shepherd that Jesus called him. Do you remember how we met Jesus on the beach and they had breakfast together after, after the resurrection? And Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Each time, Peter responded by declaring his love for his Lord, cancelling out each of his denials. But each time, Jesus re- replied, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter was called to express his love for his Lord by leading God's people and by specifically taking care of them. Feeding them God's truth and watching over them with God's love. So be a shepherd. And here Peter called his fellow elders, his fellow overseers, his fellow shepherds to do the same. Be shepherds of God's care, God's flock that is under your care. Teach God's word to those you've been called to feed. 
Watch over and guard the people that God has placed under your care, under your protection, under your guidance. So be shepherds. Feed and take care of. And as Peter called them to do this, he called them to follow the example of Christ. Because in the New Testament, it wasn't just kings or religious leaders who were seen as shepherds. Yes, they had a crucial role in looking after God's people, but they were simply under-shepherds. The ultimate protector, the ultimate provider, their ultimate guide was the Lord himself, was God himself. So Psalm 23, verse 1, I'm sure most of us know this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. David, as the shepherd king, he knew that ultimately he was dependent on the shepherd care of his Lord. The one whom all of God's people ultimately look for. For protection and care and provision and all of that. And then in Isaiah 40 verse 11. It says about the sovereign Lord. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. And he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And so ultimately. Peter describes these churches in verse 2. As God's flock. These churches are not owned or defined by their their church leaders, by their elders, overseers, shepherds. They're not called to seek the glory of the name of their leader. Instead, these people belong to God. They are God's flock. They are owned by Him. They are loved by Him. They are chosen by Him. They've been bought with the precious blood of His Son. And so they are sealed by His Spirit. They are fed His truth. They are guarded by His power. They are led by His will. And they are called to honour His name. The church doesn't belong to anybody else apart from God. It's God's flock. It's God's people. But Peter knew all of this. And yet he was unafraid to describe Jesus here as the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. Jesus, he is the ultimate shepherd of God's people, Peter is saying. He is the one who supplies our need. He is the one who watches over us. He is the one who carries us close to his heart. He is the one who leads us gently with tenderness and care. How could could Peter say that? Well, because Jesus didn't hesitate to take on God's role as shepherd and apply it to himself. We read this already. I... I'm the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. It's a declaration of the deity of Christ here in 1 Peter chapter 5. If Jesus is truly the chief shepherd, then we need to accept that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the saviour of the world. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. 
So he is the ultimate shepherd of God's people. He is the one who can claim God's people as his own. And that's what Peter has already declared. Chapter 2. He says, you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So if if you're on the lookout for verses in, in the New Testament that describe clearly the deity of Christ, there it is. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. But I think all of this helps us to see the relevance of this passage for us this morning. Obviously, as as pastor, this passage is a serious call to me to lead like Jesus. And so it's incredibly challenging to preach this in front of all of you this morning. But also I think this passage can help us as a church to recognise good leadership and rebuke or reject that leadership that doesn't conform to the picture of who Jesus is. That is worldly rather than Christ-like. Because the under-shepherds should look like, in some way, the chief shepherd. Should also help us to recognise as a church those that God is calling into leadership in this church. Remember we we said that the the New Testament church was team leadership, not one person but a team. We're praying that God would raise up within within our church those that God has called into this role. And this passage should help us to recognise what kind of qualities we should be looking for for those who are stepping up into leadership in church. But I think that we can apply this passage even wider than that. I think we can take the principles that we find here and apply them to each one of us. No matter what our role in church is. Because each one of us have an influence on other people. Each one of us have an influence on people in our families, in our communities, maybe in our ministries, or our church groups, or our fellowship groups. So, no matter where we are, or what we're doing, somebody's watching us. Somebody's looking at us and seeing if we are leading them in the right direction or not. Someone is impacted by our example. And somebody needs our care and direction. And in these situations, we are called to lead like Jesus. As Peter describes here in this passage. So please, don't look at this passage and say, Oh well, Andrew, that's for you. All sit down and point your finger at me and say, You should be like this. Okay? Please don't do that. I'm applying it to me this morning. But please try and see how it applies to you in your life, in your situations, in your families, in your communities, in, in church ministries. And see how God wants you to lead others like Jesus. So what does it look like to lead like Jesus? What does it look like to, for us to follow Christ in our leadership, in our example, whether it's in church or elsewhere? Well, here Peter used three pairs of commands that have both a negative and a positive aspect. So three pairs of commands with a negative and a positive aspect and then he finished with a final encouragement. First of all, 
He said that they should serve willingly. Verse 2, not because you must. Not because you must. I think part of the reason for this is that when we, when we, only, when we lead only out of a sense of obligation or duty or responsibility, we can start to see people as problems or burdens rather than as valuable and precious in God's sight. Rather as people that we want to love and care for. Applies in church. Applies as, as parents, doesn't it? Oh, I need to do this. It destroys our, our way of looking at things, doesn't it? We see our kids as a, as, a, as a burden that we're having to carry. Or do we see them really as somebody we want to love and care and look after? This kind of attitude of just being forced into it, it destroys our enthusiasm. It corrupts our motives. It poisons our words. We start to say things really harshly. It produces bitterness and resentment in our hearts. And ultimately, it completely destroys the value of our service. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If our leadership is not motivated by love, then it's worthless in God's sight. And it's actually destructive and annoying. And so we must lead, not because we're forced to, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. It's about obedience. But not obedience that we do because we're trying to earn God's favour or God's acceptance. Neither is it about obeying out of guilt or out of fear of punishment. But rather it's about leading out of eager obedience because we want to obey God's command. Because we're eager to please God. Because we want to honour Him in everything that we're doing. Because we love Him. And that's how Jesus led That's how Jesus served. Jesus went to the cross willingly. John chapter 10 again. He talked about his life. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. Nobody dragged Jesus to the cross. Nobody forced him to do it. Nobody pushed him into it. He went willingly. And throughout his ministry, he described his reason for that was ultimately because he wanted to obey his father. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Ultimately, Jesus was serving for the glory of God. That was why he was willing. That was why he was so eager to do exactly what God wanted him, his father wanted him to do. Secondly, so that's the first uh, pair of negative and positive commands. And you notice it, not forced, but obedient. Secondly, Peter said that we need to serve selflessly. The negative command, not greedy for money. 
Love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, doesn't isn't it? And it completely corrupts leadership. This was one of the problems of those leaders of the nation of Israel that Ezekiel was told to condemn. So back to Ezekiel chapter 34, he said this, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. Their job was to look after God's people, but they were just using God's people for their own benefit. And God declared that he was coming to take away their role completely. And unfortunately, there are increasingly numbers, there are increasing numbers of people who seem to just be following that example. Who use their leadership roles to serve themselves. To make money for themselves. People who, Paul says in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 and 5, who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Who think that because they're serving God, they've got the right to become rich. But of course Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. You just can't. It's impossible. It's not saying that money is wrong or that you don't need money. Of course you do. But it's impossible to serve God and to serve money. You either love God or you love money. You can't do both. So if making money is our motive in leadership, if looking after ourselves and benefiting ourselves is our motive, then we're not serving God. Instead, we need to be eager to serve. Leadership is about serving others, not serving ourselves. It's about giving, not getting. It's about, it needs to be motivated by grace, not greed. That's what leading like Jesus is, is like. Because Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he calls us to follow his example in laying down our lives for the benefit of others. So serve willingly. Serve selflessly. Thirdly, serve humbly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. This was another problem of those leaders in Israel that Ezekiel condemned. He said to them in in Ezekiel chapter 34, You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. These people thought their role gave them the right to boss the people about. To domineer them, to bully them, to control them. But that was abusive leadership. That was not godly leadership. Jesus described what godly leadership looks like in Mark chapter 10. Verse 42, he said this. Those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord over them. 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Leading like Jesus is not about demanding our way or our rights or our agenda. It's not about manipulating people to follow our plans or our wants. It's not about forcing people to think or act in a way that suits us. The the gift of leadership is not recognised in a church by those who shout loudest, who raise their voice or who demand their ideas carried on. Maybe it's recognised by those who are brushing the floor or who are serving the tea and coffee or who are sitting and listening and caring. Because leading like Jesus is about leading by example. Being examples to the flock. It's about stepping up and doing what God wants. It's about following His commands. It's about submitting to His word. It's about living by His spirit, denying ourselves in the hope that other people will see what we're doing and follow our example. It's the opposite of do what I say, not what I do kind of idea. Rather, it's about calling people to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. And that's quite a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? When the church is living as aliens and strangers in the world, in a hostile and violent world. Peter basically is calling these leaders not to hesitate to be the first to stand up. To be the first to be counted as Christians. To be out there, right in the front line. To be first to be targeted. To be first to suffer. After all, that's what Jesus did, isn't it? When Jesus taught servant leadership in Mark chapter 10, he called us to look at him because he led by example. Mark 10.45 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Leadership is supposed to be the way of the cross. It's supposed to be moulded by the cross of Jesus, not by the way the world is. The world looks after hierarchy and position and authority and and perks of the job and all of those things. God's people are supposed to follow Jesus as he goes to the cross. So I hope you can see that leading, like Jesus, is not easy and it's not comfortable. It doesn't often feel good or feel pleasant. There aren't often immediate or tangible benefits of that. It's tough. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. 
And it often goes unnoticed or unappreciated. Because of this, Peter finished with an amazing encouragement. That even in all the challenge of this, we can serve joyfully. Because, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Crowns, those were the garlands given to the winners of, of athletic contests. They were made, usually made of leaves or flowers. So they'd quickly fade away. Next year, there'd be a new champion, a new hero. Last year's success would be forgotten. But the crown that Jesus, the chief shepherd, will give to those who faithfully under-shepherd his people, that will never fade away. Their service will never be forgotten. It will never be overlooked. It will be forever remembered and rewarded in Christ's kingdom. Why is that? Why would God value so highly those who serve others? In this way, or in our families, or in our communities, or wherever it is. Well, I think it reflects the value that he places on people. If, God, if God's people are so loved, then those who serve them will be so honoured. No matter how small or insignificant their act of service is. Matthew chapter 10 verse 42 is, is one of my other favourite verses that I've got. Uh, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, he will certainly not lose his reward. This encouragement that Peter gives us is not for the, for the prominent leaders who we think, wow, they're doing an amazing job. They are going to receive a crown of glory when Jesus comes. This is written to encourage each one of us as we serve in small, unnoticed ways in this world. Jesus sees what we are doing. He values it. And one day he will reward it for all eternity. Of course, that doesn't encourage us to be proud or to be arrogant. So I suppose we're walking around saying, look at me, I'm going to get a crown. Because, of course, we haven't accomplished anything, haven't we? have we? Anything that we are able to do is because of God's grace in our life. As Paul said, by the grace of God, I am who I am. And in Revelation chapter 4, the elders, when they receive their crowns, they don't stand and, and, and admire them. They don't show off them to each other. Instead, they fall down and worship. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power what do we do with when God rewards us what do we do with this crown of glory that he wants to give us for our service well we lay at the feet of Jesus and we use it with, for the privilege of, of honouring God, of worshipping God. 
the one who enabled us and empowered us and saved us and redeemed us and forgave us so that we could serve in this way. In heaven, all the glory goes to Jesus. So this teaching on crowns is to encourage us that despite how tough leadership is, it is worth it. Yes, there is struggle and there is suffering now. But there is eternal glory to come. And that's just what it was for Jesus, wasn't it? Look back in verse 1 of chapter 5. Peter says this. Peter describes himself here as a witness of Christ's suffering. And one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Right throughout this whole letter we see this, this picture, this reality. That for the Christian following in the footsteps of Jesus, there is suffering now, but there is glory to come. So this is our calling. We are to lead willingly, selflessly, humbly, joyfully in all of these different areas of our lives because our eyes are fixed on Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. The one who endured the cross because of the joy set before him. Because we know that if we follow Christ in leadership, then we will also share with Christ in glory.